Good morning, everyone. Hey, we're so glad to see you here. Hey, I want to say thank you to all of you uh, this morning uh, for a couple of things. One is, you know, it, it's a new location for us. And so it's going to take about three to four weeks to get all the little glitches worked out and stuff. And your patience uh, this morning was fantastic. Didn't you love the way it looked when you drove in? I mean, we're basically claiming this building for God. And uh, on Sunday mornings at least. Isn't that amazing? Somebody asked if Jack Sparrow is going to be teaching the message today. He's not. We're going to try to get him uh, lined up next week. Hey, take 30 seconds. Well, let's take five seconds. Do this. Turn to your neighbor next to you, if you don't mind, and, and, and ask them this question. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of the word church? Would you, talk, would you talk about that for a second? Turn to them in just like five seconds. Here's what I think of when I think of the word church. Church. You guys sound good. You sound great. Well, I don't know what you think of. I don't even know, like, for instance, some of you might have an emotional response to the word church. You might have a feeling about it. I don't know what you think of when you think of the word church. But I got to tell you that if you were to have a conversation with somebody from the very first century, like right after Jesus was resurrected and the church began, their concept of church most likely would be radically different than the concept that we have. See, when church first began, it didn't begin as a building that people would come to. It didn't certainly begin in a movie theater. It began as a movement of people, a movement of people who were committed primarily to a radically simple idea, a simple idea that Jesus is God. Now, it's a simple idea to understand. It's complex and huge in its implications. In the early church, there was no staff. There were no buildings. There was no hierarchy. There were no bands. And unfortunately, there any sermons to begin with like the very first beginning that's not what happened what happened was you had a group of people who had seen an event that changed their lives it was an event that marked history and because of this event it would forever be different it was the resurrection of jesus and i want to take you back if you don't mind a couple thousand years in your mind to that beginning of the church time when a group of people didn't hear a sermon and believe They didn't see a set of teachings from Jesus and think, oh, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. And because it's cool or because it's important, then I'll believe. That's not what happened. There were a group of people who were living in the city of Jerusalem, in the city of Jerusalem. And in that city, some events had been unfolding pretty aggressively. There was a teacher by the name of Jesus that almost every single person had heard of. Here's what they had heard about him. He is a great teacher. That that was cool. That was amazing. People heard his words and they were changed. He did amazing miracles. He really did. I mean, they knew people who had been touched by Jesus and their eyes were open. They could not see, but now they could see. They knew people who couldn't walk, but when Jesus touched them, they could walk again. They even heard, maybe as many of them knew, a guy by the name of Lazarus who had physically died and then he was resurrected. And then they saw, here was the irony thing, they saw this exact same Jesus hang on a Roman cross, give his life. And they thought it was over. But in just a matter of a few hours, three days, dozens and dozens, and over the next 40 days, hundreds of people would see Jesus. They would see the Jesus who died on a Roman cross, walking around, talking with people. They were eyewitnesses of an event that changed history, the resurrection of Jesus. Now, Easter was just a few weeks ago. We talked about that, but I want to impress this idea on your mind. The early church, when it first began, unlike today, it wasn't a building you came to. It wasn't an organization you joined. It wasn't a set of teachings that you believed in. It was this event called the resurrection that convinced every person who were eyewitnesses that something special was going on here. They saw him die. 
I want to take us back to that place because I think that maybe today on the first day in this new location, we might need to rethink a little bit about what church is like. We're meeting, for instance, in a theater. You understand that even a few years ago, that would have been a strange thing. I mean, you go back 20 years ago, people weren't really doing this. Now, in the history of our church, it's not all that different. In fact, how many of you, by show of hands, were here with us in the rave four or five years ago? Yeah? Yeah, man, good, a good portion, about half of the crowd here. Now, when church began as a movement, they wouldn't have ever thought about doing this. In fact, they never even thought of church being a building. They never even thought about church being the place you meet. I want to do, if you don't mind, a little bit of background study for you before we look at our text. See, there is in your Bible a word translated into our English word, church, church. And the Bible was originally written in Greek, and that early word there, church, the original Greek of that word is the word ekklesia, ekklesia. And when the translators of our Bible took from the Greek into English, they chose the word church. That's what King James and his cohorts did, and it's been picked up largely. Jesus had said when he was walking on the earth that he would build his church And that all the forces of darkness, all the the power of hell, all the gates of hell would not be able to stop the advance of the church. And that's exactly what you see when you read in your Bible in the book of Acts. This movement of people that started, people who were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. It wasn't about a building, it wasn't about a set of teachings, it wasn't about a hierarchy or a program, it wasn't something that you joined. It was a group of people who said, something unique is happening in Jesus. And when those people would gather, the word used to describe their gathering was ecclesia. It's translated church in our Bible, in the, most of the Bibles we read, but it can also simply mean the word assembly or gathering. See, something happened over time. What began as a movement, what began as a force of people, an energy, an idea that catalyzed people's hearts and minds, they committed their lives to them, to, to, the, to this idea, they, they committed their very living and breathing. They committed their resources, their emotions to this idea. What began that way over time had this tendency to shift and change. It became not this idea, not a momentum, not a force of movement. It became literally a building you begin to attend. I want to show you a little bit how that happened historically. See, when the writers of our Bible into English from the original languages, when they came across that word ecclesia, it created a little bit of a challenge for them. Because by the time that the Bible was being translated into all the different languages we have today from the original Greek and the Hebrew, there was some debate over what that word should look like. Because what had happened was by the time that was being done, the church as a movement had largely grown stale. It had stopped being a force of people, a gathering, a group that would come together to talk about Jesus and what his ideas meant. And it became much more about the place where they met. It became much more about a structure. Now, this idea of the place where people meet to talk about Jesus has been a big deal throughout history. In fact, you can go right back to the first few days and you can see a little bit of a challenge. See, when Jesus was on the earth, and he lived in and around Jerusalem. There was a building in that little city of Jerusalem that we would call the upper room. It was a building that was two-story. And in the upper part of that building, the upper room, people would gather. This is where Jesus had his last supper. 
You remember this story if you have a Bible background. If you don't, this is where just before he died, he gathered with all of his followers. They shared a meal together, and he gave us that sacrament of communion. In fact, I have a picture of what the upper room kind of looks like today if you go to Jerusalem and visit it. You guys, you got that one for me? This is it right here. Yeah. Um, now, that building has been remodeled. We're not even 100% sure it's the exact building, but it's been completely redone and kind of made to look more like a church. Back in Jesus' days, all the ornate decorative work in the arches probably weren't there. Simple little structure. And the followers of Jesus would meet in this room, the 12 and a few more. When Jesus died and was resurrected, the Bible says in this very room, 120 gathered and waited for Jesus to do what he said he was going to do. He said this, that when I go away back to heaven after my resurrection, I'm going to leave for you the gift of God called the Holy Spirit. And if you'll wait for me in Jerusalem, I'm going to give that gift to you and it's going to change everything for you. Now, this was an interesting place to meet, to have a religious meeting. An interesting place to gather. You wouldn't typically in Jerusalem go here to connect with God. No, you would go to the next picture. Yeah, now doesn't that look more impressive? I mean, that, that, that's the temple. That's where you would go. It's a recreation of it anyway. That's where you would go to connect with God. That's where you would go to hear the scriptures read. That's where you would go to sing. That's where you would go to serve. This is where you would go to meet with God at the temple. But Jesus was doing a new thing. He was breaking the pattern and the mentality that people had that you would go to a place to connect with God. And he was teaching them that rather than going to a place to connect with God, God would go with you wherever you went in life. And so he gives not only uh, a, a unique perspective on the location, he sends his very spirit to go with the people who are part of the movement wherever they go. So it's no longer just a place where you meet. A place to just connect with God. It's no longer a place where you just come and that's the totality of your spiritual investment. That's the totality of your spiritual walk. That's not what's going to happen in the Jesus movement. Now, what's going to happen is the Spirit of God is going to go with you wherever you go. So in the early church, these, ga these people gathered. And over the 40 days after the resurrection... Jesus met with people. They began to hang out in this place at the end of that 40 days. And right on the 50th day, a, 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 a ceremony began, a holiday began in the Jewish custom called the Day of Pentecost. The word Pentecost means 50. 50 days after Passover, they were in this room, and the promise that Jesus had given them actually comes to pass. It's a promise that he would send his spirit, that that spirit would invade people. It would take up residence in people. So they would no longer have to come to a specific room to connect with God. They could now go throughout their entire lives and God would walk with them. They would literally have God on the inside of them. Rather than going to the temple to connect with God, here was the idea. Their bodies would become the temple of God. Their very bodies. And so Jesus said, for instance, in, when he was walking on the earth, he said, you know, in, he's standing outside that beautiful temple. He says, in, in, in just a short little while, the temple is going to be torn down and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. And people's like, there's no way you can rebuild this temple in three days. And he's shattering the idea of what a temple is. And he's basically saying in three days, they're going to crucify me, the embodiment of the spirit of God. And in three days, I'm going to rise again. But then he turns and over the next few days, he teaches them that the temple of God really isn't a building anyway. What's going to happen is God's going to take this movement, put it on steroids and make it radically different than it had ever been. See, when I ask you to talk about church, some of you may have had in mind a building. That's okay. A lot of us do. We do for good historical reasons. All the way back to that translated Greek word, ekklesia, assembly or gathering. There was a, a Germanic word uh, from, we got from the Goths. It was the word kirch, kirch. 
And it was the word that was used not of Christianity, but of any sacred gathering. It was the location. And when they were, when they were translating the Bible into English, what happened was the word church was brought into the English language. We call it church because by that point, this, this movement of Christ, this movement of Jesus in the world, this movement of people going all over the place to do God's work and to have him live in them and just live it out through their daily lives had already began to grow stale and they were already beginning to associate the building with the movement as opposed to the movement being bigger than. See, when Jesus said that people would gather together in the ecclesia, the assembly, what was really going on there was is he was saying people would come together and it would be like getting your battery charged. It would be a place where you would sing and worship and you would read the scriptures and you would witness to the things of God but this would not be the place where the ecclesia would happen this would not be the place where the movement of God would happen this would not be the place where the sacred would happen what would happen was is we would go from that gathering where we would get filled up where we would hear the scriptures where we'd be motivated and changed and informed we would go from that place and we would be the church out there outside of the walls and so it didn't matter if people met, for instance, in a building or in an upper room as opposed to the temple. It didn't matter if they met out in the bush in some wilderness. It didn't matter if they met in secret in basements. It didn't matter if they met at a hospital bed. It didn't matter if they met in a nursing home or in a school. Wherever people would gather, that's where the Spirit of God would show up and God would do his work and the movement would grow. When Jesus said, I will build my ecclesia, he was not talking about building a building. He was not talking about a location where people would come and they would make so much investment in propping up an organization, keeping an, uh, an authority structure in place, building a program. That is not what he gave his life to. If you were to talk to a first century Christian and say to them, what do you think about church? And they would ask you, what do you think about church? And you were to share ideas. They likely would chuckle or laugh at what we do with church today. They never had in mind that what you would do is gather and this would be the thing. No, they gathered. In fact, the Bible says of them that they gathered daily together to pray and encourage each other. So it wasn't an opposition to gathering. It was that they knew that the gathering wasn't the goal. The gathering wasn't the key event. The gathering wasn't the important part. It was the gathering and the charging up and the batteries stoked and the mind filled and the heart full and the encouragement of course but then you went out the assembled ones disassembled and went out and lived a god-inspired life every day this is what you get for instance in the book of acts i'd like to take you there in your bible if you have one turn if not the words will be behind me on the screen acts chapter one here's what the bible has to say acts chapter one Jesus is talking. He hasn't quite yet gone up to heaven. And I want, to see how, I want you to see how he unpacks this idea. Here's what it says. On one occasion, while he was eating with them before the resurrection, or before he goes up to heaven, this is after the resurrection, he gave them this command. Now listen. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my Father, which is promised. You've heard me speak about it. For John baptized with water. But in a few days, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I showed you the picture where they gathered in that upper room. And then verse 80 says, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses. I like that word. Witnesses. 
It's not this that you're going to be my teachers. You're not just going to be the people that come together. You're not just going to be simple volunteers propping up an organization, although all that stuff has its place. Each of you, in your own way, in your own sphere, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell the events that happen, things you've seen. And you're going to do that in Jerusalem right here, like right up close and personal. And then you're going to go to Judea, the, the broader area. And then he says, he throws him a curveball, he says, and then you're going to go to Samaria. You have to understand, they didn't even like to go to Samaria. Nobody would have gone to Samaria on purpose. You'd walk around Samaria if you had to go from north to south. And you're going to go to Samaria, and then you're going to even go to the ends of the earth. And the Bible says in verse 12, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, about a Sabbath day walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went to the upstairs room. And they began to wait and pray. And about two weeks passed. Pentecost occurred. There are 14 nationalities gathered in the city on that day, at least 14 that we know of, they're named. And then Acts chapter 2, just the next page in your Bible says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They were assembled, the ecclesia, they had gathered. And what's strange is on that day, they all hear in the various languages representing nationalities all over the world that had gathered. 14 named, probably more than that. They all hear the message of Jesus presented in their own language. A miracle takes place. God shatters the preconceived ideas that said basically people gather. And they tend to gather you know, with like people. They tend to be more alike than they're different. They tend to have you know, homogeny of ideas and social status. They tend to look more than alike. And God said on the day of Pentecost, the very first day, opening day of the ecclesia, what happens is, is the mold is shattered. And people from every tribe and every nation of that known world all around the Mediterranean representatives are showing up in the city of Jerusalem for that holiday. And it's on that day that the church is born. The ecclesia is born. Not born as a building, not born as an organization, not born as a structure, but born as a movement. A movement of people who are radically committed to a simple idea that Jesus is God, and if you commit your life to him, it will change everything. He won't just be a part of your life where you gather once a week. He won't just be the prayers you do. No, his very spirit will infuse your life. And everywhere you go, every place your feet touch becomes the temple of God because the Spirit of God resides in you now, filling you up, overflowing you. They were all baptized, the Bible says, in the Holy Spirit. When, when we do baptisms here in a couple of weeks, you'll see this, but the idea is that people go all the way in the water and they get totally covered over. They're completely overflowing with wetness when people are baptized. When you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, you're completely overflowing with the Holy Spirit of God, the movement of God in your life so that no area of your life is left untouched. This is the idea that the early ecclesia had in mind when you were to talk with them about the movement of God, the church. They never thought of the building. So, for instance, if you would have said to them, my church is going to meet for our gathering in a theater, they would have said, so what? My church meets out by this tree. Others would say, well, we built a building for ours. Some would say, well, we meet in our home. And they would all go, okay, that's fine. And then they would look at each other and they would say, basically, now what's God doing in and through your life? And they would share testimonies together. And they would sing songs. And it wasn't unusual to pray when they gathered. And it wasn't at all unusual for people to pray when they were on their own, doing their own lives with individual people. This morning, as we were trying to convert this place into a worship space, so that this ecclesia could gather and focus our attention on God and hear from his word and have our batteries charged, 
And I was chatting with the manager here, a guy by the name of Mr. Pollock. And he was sharing with me some of the challenges he's going through in his family. And he said this, and he, it's like he gets the spirit of what we're all about anyway. He said, Ben, would you pray for me and for my family? So we just pulled off into one of the little theater hallways there and prayed together. See, now, in the, you don't understand how radical that is because in the old way, we'd have had to wait to show up to the place where God already was. And then we would come into his presence. That's not the way it works anymore. His presence goes with you. His presence fills you. Because of the work that Jesus did, because of the gift of the Holy Spirit, because of the day of Pentecost, the birth of the church, what that means is, is everywhere you and I go, every place of business, every school, every conversation you have with your boyfriend or girlfriend, when you're a husband and wife and you're sitting on the couch, there is the church gathered. Every place where the people of God meet. And that's the place that the Spirit of God can work. The thing I'm so excited about today is, is we get to reinvestigate what it means to be the church. Is it simply that building we were at on Westchester Road? Is it simply cool because we're in the rave? No, this is not the church. This is part of it, of course. It's the gathered part. But we get to go from here and live this radical movement out. You want to see the difference it began to make on opening day? Here's what happens if you turn the page, for instance, to Acts chapter 2 and you keep reading. What happened was, is they go out into the street after gathering. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. And people begin to hear the message of Jesus in their own language. A major miracle of speaking in tongues, and at least maybe a miracle of interpretation. They, one person spoke, but they all heard it in their own language. It was a crazy jumbling of cultures coming together. And what happened was, is that people began to gather and make question about, what's this noise we hear? What's, what's happening over there near that house, near that upper room, near the second story of that building? And it spilled out onto the streets. And Peter stands up and he's going to give the inaugural address, the very first message, the very first sermon in the church. And he stands up and says, now listen, the craziness you're watching is not people being drunk. They're not drunk with wine, but they're filled up. They're overflowing. They're inebriated on God's spirit. And it's bubbling up out of them. And they're speaking the words of Jesus. So Peter stands up and he says, now listen, you can read the sermon for yourself in Acts chapter 2. He says, here's the deal, friends. Just a few days ago, there was a man by the name of Jesus, and he did miracles. Now now listen, it's not like I'm telling you today. This was 2,000 years ago, and the people he was talking to had all heard the name of Jesus. It was just, just 40 days earlier that the crucifixion had happened. They had all heard the name of Jesus. They all knew him. Many of them had seen him, and he began to describe the miracles that Jesus did, and everybody in that crowd, everybody in Jerusalem on that day gathered, shook their head and said, yeah, we heard about that. We heard about the deaf guy. We heard about the blind guy and the lame guy. We even heard about the dead guy that was raised. And then Peter looks at him and he said, now listen to this. And you crucified him. And everybody's like, ah. And so finally somebody says, I can't believe we did that. I can't believe we had a part. And sure enough, in that crowd, there would have been people who would have had a part in the very crucifixion of Jesus. And one of the guys stands up. And in verse 36, you can kind of pick up the story. Therefore, Here's what it says. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus I've been telling you about, whom you crucified, both the Lord and the Messiah. Some of you were there. Some of you participated. Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut, the Bible says. They were cut to the heart. Their heart was sensitized. It was like their spirit was laid open and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, 
What do we do now? We've already killed him. Now listen, it's not like me telling you Jesus died and was resurrected. These are people who saw the event. They had gathered at the cross. They, saw, they were eyewitnesses to the thing. What do we need to do now? And Peter, of course, replied. He said, go to church every Sunday. Make sure you serve in the church and give your tithe. That's not at all what Peter said. He said, listen, listen, listen. repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. In other words, you want to be a part of this movement? You want to know what to do? Receive the gift of God. I mean, none of this happened by accident, Peter said. This death and resurrection of Jesus was all on purpose. God did this so that you could be part of the assembly you could come from all over the world, various backgrounds, male, female, young, old, learned, unlearned, rich, poor, didn't matter. You can be a part of the assembly if you will repent of your sins, be baptized, receive forgiveness through the name of Jesus. And you'll receive then, listen to this, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So it's no longer just the priestly tribe. It's no longer just this location. It's no longer just the learned. It's no longer just the people who have privilege. It's no longer your bloodline. Now every single person in the whole world can receive the gift of God in their daily lives and have, have eternal life that begins here and now and ushers into life after death because of what Jesus did. We hear that now. It doesn't have quite the ring it had on opening day when they were all saying, yeah, we saw him. And many of us saw him after he was dead walking around and talking. I mean, you had the punch not of an organization being established. You had the punch of a movement beginning. You had the energy behind that. And people were radically committed to that simple idea that in this Jesus, God was doing something different. And if we commit our lives to him and walk in his way, it will make all the difference in our lives. But not just for us here in Jerusalem. Remember, it's for those in Judea as well, the broader district. And not just for those we like, for those in Samaria as well. And not just those in Samaria, but no matter how far the world goes, that's where the movement of Christ can reach. We who are far off, the Bible says, repent in the name of Jesus, verse 39. The promise is for you and your children and for those who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So who are the far off? Do you know? Do you know who the far off that Peter was talking about? We are. I mean, we are halfway around the world. We're separated geographically from them, but we're separated chronologically. We're talking years ago. The folks who will be a part of the ecclesia will be people, if the Lord doesn't come back anytime soon, will be your children, your grandchildren. I love what Nate shared when he shared this testimony about the graduates and our hope for them is that they would not become a statistic. The Bible indicates that the promise of God is for us, for our children, for our grandchildren. It's not just for the few. So that the statistic that says 70% of them are likely to disavow their faith no matter how they were raised we kind of stand against that in our tradition we stand against that and we don't we don't affirm that statistic in the life of these kids we believe that because of the ecclesia the work that god does when we gather the work that he does in people's homes the work that can happen in schools among people who believe that an anchor can be established so deep in their soul that no matter how far they travel away they only get so far and they come back to the place so we pray over them, God, like in the Bible, when you made the sun stand still, we declare that your grace and your power is at work in these kids. And we do not give them up to other people. 
No, the movement of God, the promise that Peter talked about is for us, but also for them and for their kids. And should I tell you, my great-grandkids. And it's for you too. And so I'm really glad to see you today. The Bible affirms you gathering together in a place to worship and pray and hear the word of God given to us. That is exactly what believers in Jesus have always done. Historically, though, the ones that got it didn't only do this. They allowed that thing that happened in the assembly, in the ecclesia, they allowed that to translate to us being the church, not just here, but out there as well. This is what happened on opening day of the church. I have been praying all week long as we've worked and got ready. God, what do you want to do at the new opening day of Four Corners? How would we honor what you originally began? Would we honor you by simply declaring that this place is now sacred? And if they play rated R films in here, God, don't let the demons of the rated R films inhabit the... Maybe. But I think what God would really be honored by is that if we would gather together and know this deep in our hearts, that it isn't just a gathering, friends. That's why for some of us, the church is stale and cold. Your life might have gone through some challenges and you thought to yourself, I need to get back to church. You had the right idea, as long as you had the right idea of church. It was never about coming back to a building. It was never about coming back to an organization and putting your name on a roll somewhere. It was about the movement of God at work in the world and the movement of God at work in your life and my life and my family so that everywhere I go, that the bubbling power of God can spill out of me and touch everybody around me. That the world would be blessed where I go. That's his prayer for us today. That's what Jesus said when he said, I'll establish my church and all the gates of hell won't be able to prevent us from moving forward with this movement. Now in a few months, we're going to be completing a building. And a lot of churches have gone through this episode, through this endeavor, and what's happened is they've kind of lost focus that it was a movement supposed to be, and they started thinking that it really was a location. You have our commitment as a staff here that we will not let that happen. In fact, as we were moving into this place, we didn't want to get so comfortable here because maybe God would want to send us somewhere else. Now, that's not like a preview that we're moving again in a few weeks. I don't know. We're here, I think, for about a year, right? That's not what that's about at all. But we know this, and no matter where we meet, God's Spirit can show up and do His thing. And no matter where you are in life, in school, in lunch table, on your date, in your marriage, on your sofa, it doesn't matter. God's spirit can show up in you because of what happened on opening day of the local church. I believe in the local church, but I would never give my life to a building. I believe in the local church, but I'd never give my life to an organization. But I'm telling you, friends, I'm so fired up with what God's doing in the world, the movement, and what I sense him doing in our church. I give my life to this. I want to share with you one final story before I close. There's a guy in history called William Tyndall. William Tyndall, he got inside of his soul this idea that the movement of Christ, the ecclesia, was bigger than a local church. In his day, it had almost all become about the building. And he observed that if you owned the building, if you had control of the building, you could have control of the message. If you had control of the message, you could have control of the people. And that's what had happened. Power had been vested in structures and in organization. And Tyndale said, because God put a call in his heart, that we need to give back the ecclesia to the church, the broader meaning of this word. So he decided, as God led him, that he would translate the Bible from Greek and Hebrew into English. He was the first guy to do it. And he came to those passages that we referred to where Jesus said, I will build my church. 
And he opted not to translate, this was scandalous, the word church, ecclesia as the word church, which meant a building, a location, a gathering of the specific geography. And he instead translated it as congregation. Jesus said, I will build my congregation. I will build my assembly. And he put the Bible out there. And because of his in-your-face attitude that the church was bigger than a building, he was tried as a heretic. He was burned. His body was, uh, was destroyed. They burned him and then they courted him and sent him out all over Europe because of this idea, this crazy notion he had that the movement of God would be bigger than a building. This was what Tyndale did. We are all today, by the way, recipients of his work. King James saw his Bible and said, hey, I think I can do a little bit better. And because he had bigger, bigger authority, that Bible took on. That Bible's 400 years old today. Really, this month, that's when that happened. All that was about one key idea, that the church is more than a building, the church is more than the place that we meet, the church is more than the organization, that the church does not win when we set up signs and do cool check-ins and lights. The church wins when we stay clear to the mission of Jesus, that he will send us into all the world and we will be his witnesses, that the work he's done in our lives will spill out on other people. And there's a core of people in this church that are radically committed to that idea. And we hope that number grows. We believe that if we will be true to that, that God will send us people. And nothing can stop us from being the church everywhere we go. That's what sustains this place. That is what has always sustained the movement of God. And if you've been hurt in the church because it was focused on other things, just as a representative, I may or may not have had anything to do with that. I'm sorry. I really am. I'm sorry that throughout history, people have gotten this wrong. But hear this. The word of God is clear. And we as a church here try really hard to stay, try really hard to stay center on this. That we will stay committed to the mission of Jesus. That we will be his witnesses. We won't be perfect, but we will represent this simple idea that because of Jesus, you and I can have a relationship with God that isn't centered simply on a building, but can go into every area of our lives. Why don't you grab your connect card? And let's take a couple steps together as a congregation. We take next steps around here. If you're our guest today, what that means is we don't want to just hear sermons and be stirred. We want to actually move forward because movements move. Isn't that funny that way? Movements move. And so today I'm going to ask if there's anybody in the room today that would think about taking next step A. Next step A, right up here behind me, it says, I'm not bold about my faith, but I want to be. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses. Listen, if you'd like to be a better witness, check the box and let's begin to pray about that and ask God to do his work in your life and make you bold about the work that's going on in you and the work that God wants to do through you. Here's next step B together. I have family and friends who haven't received this promise from God. They're not in a relationship, but I want to pray for them with a certain amount of boldness. I want to aggressively go after them. Listen, if you have people who have been hurt by church and didn't understand its broader meaning, maybe they were in an organization that didn't get it, Let's pray for them that God will send his spirit and draw them in and they would receive his gift. If that's who you are today, if this represents you, check the box. When the offering buckets come by later, we put it in and begin to pray about those things. Here's the next step, Steve. I have active disobedience in my life and I want to repent of that today. Peter looked out at the crowd and he said, now listen, everybody out here should repent. There are people out there who were living good moral lives. There were people out there, I'm sure, who were living not so good moral lives. And he looked at all of them and he said, now repent and receive the gift of Jesus. If you need to come back to Jesus today, let's just make that right when we pray in a second. And finally, next step D. This is for people who have never yet committed their lives to Jesus. And they want to become a part of the movement of God. 
We can call it like becoming saved, making Jesus your Savior and your Lord, your forgiver, your leader, whatever language you want to use, it doesn't matter. It's about totally committing your life to Jesus and saying, God, whatever you have for me, I want it. I repent of my sins and I receive your forgiveness and your grace. We're going to pray about those things right now. Bow with me, please. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your goodness. God, I want to thank you for the church. Oh, not a building, although I'm grateful for this one. Lord, thank you for each person that helped put it together so that we could gather and have a great place to bring friends to to hear your message, your truth. But God, I'm thankful for the bigger C church, the ecclesia, that wherever we go, wherever your people gathered, you're there in the middle of them doing your work. God, help us never to forget that we were called to gather but then go out. God, don't let us be so small-minded about church that we think it's about where we meet and how we're convenienced or inconvenienced and how far we have to drive. God, let us live out the broader mission that you came and gave your life for. You never gave your life for a building. You gave your life for a movement that you were beginning. God, I pray right now for those that are committing their lives to you. They're saying, Lord, I have active sin, disobedience in my life. I want to come back. God, let them, to know, let them know your grace. God, I pray for those that are committing their lives to you for the first time. They're making an informed decision to receive your gift of death and resurrection, the grace that you offer to cover their sin, make you a child of God. Lord, we pray this all in your powerful and holy name. Amen and amen.